This is Docera Digest Podcast, breaking down health concepts. This podcast is brought to you by Docera Life Center. This innovative clinic is finding new solutions to the evolving challenges mankind faces in the 21st century. By utilizing cutting edge technology and testing, they find root causes and also offer treatment with energy and nutrition. What is the mission? To dynamically change lives for the better while impacting families for generations. The information shared directly or indirectly in the Docera Digest podcast is not to be understood as or misconstrued as medical advice. This information is not a replacement for your current health provider who is acutely aware of your current health state and course of treatment. Any information shared about a product or service discussed by any host or guest on this podcast is not to be interpreted as a doctor-patient relationship. Welcome to the Sarah Digest, episode two, where we're going to talk about co-infections of Lyme disease. And today we're going to go over kind of uh, some three majors, I call it, which is going to be Babesia, Bartonella, and Borrelia. There are also three minor other kind of tick-borne uh, issues that we see. Some of them are ehrlichosis, which is another one that causes rash and fevers. And then we have the Rocky Mountain Spotted, which is Rickettsia, Rickettsia. And then there's also a Paul Wesson virus. So these are three minor ones. I want to acknowledge them because we're not going to go into a lot of detail on those today. We're going to save those for another episode when we start doing bacterial and viral things much later on. But for today, I want to kind of focus on the three most well-known co-infections that don't necessarily have to come in with the actual tick bite or with the Lyme, but we do see them very commonly uh, present together. And so each one of these is kind of a, a different monster in itself. Uh, where Lyme disease is kind of like the main villain we introduced in the last episode. These are its minions, its cohorts, the things that don't necessarily play together, but they irritate and they mess with the system to make every one of them even worse. So they all have a different effect on the body here. And so as we go through it today, we're going to go through all these different ones here. And so first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about Babesia. First of all, what is Babesia? So Babesia is a microscopic parasites, and again, they're commonly in ticks as well, so they, that's the reason why they're common co-infections of Lyme disease. So <clears throat> the interesting thing is there's over 100 different species of Babesia, and they're still, you know, finding new ones all the time. But it's really interesting that part, uh, basically, these Babesia are part of the AP complexa phylum, which basically means they are in the same family as the parasites that cause malaria, toxoplasmosis, and cryptosporidium. So those are big ones that most people are pretty familiar with, and Babesia is in that same category there. <clears throat> so it's really interesting um, that I was reading an article the other day about this, and the first time uh, babesiosis was probably referenced is actually in the Bible in Exodus 9.3, which is where it describes the plague visited upon the cattle of Pharaoh Ramses II. So as Moses was coming through and doing the plagues, they think this might have been one of the agents that God used in that plague. Interesting thought. Also, <clears throat> One of the some of the earliest research on the Babesia was actually done in Texas because it was affecting a lot of the cattle. So a lot of the research has developed from how this parasite infected the cattle and how it affected them. And then through that, again, like we talked about with the ticks, they'll bite uh, 
you know, the cattle or another animal that's infected with it. And in that process, they'll get infected and then they'll transmit it to us later on. So one of the key things about Babesia is in a lot of ways, it mimics uh, malaria. So it is a hemolytic disease, which means it goes after the erythrocytes or the red blood cells and it destroys them. So it basically kills your red blood cells. And as we most of us should know from what, biology in high school or even earlier, you know, your red blood cells carry your oxygen. That's one of their big things is they carry your oxygen to all the cells of your body. And our last episode, Dr. Ben was talking about the mitochondria and how that is our cellular energy production center. And if we don't get enough oxygen to those areas, because we don't have enough blood that can actually carry the oxygen to those areas, then we're going to have an anemia, which means we're not getting what we need. Our, our body is suffering because of that. And that can lead to all sorts of different things, but especially to tissue hypoxia or death of the cells or the tissues. And, you know, the, like I said, that's our primary oxygen transport system. And for me, you know, as all of you guys know, I had really bad asthma when I was a kid and uh, got coded, almost died when in the hospital ER and all that stuff. And uh, just speaking from that essence, I can say, you know, when your body doesn't get the oxygen it needs, it's not a, it's not comfortable. It's a really bad thing. And that's exactly what Babesia does. It attacks those red blood cells, which means you're not producing energy. You're not breathing or, or even though you're breathing you're not actually using what you breathe in and your body even though you can breathe naturally breathe normally your body is basically losing all of its air it's dying from air hunger so that's uh that's babesia that's pretty pretty crazy stuff so uh, suffering and suffocating yeah all right uh so up next is dr craig to talk about bartonella Good old black Bart. So kind of like Babesia, there are many different species of Bartonella. Um, combined, they're, they're basically known as Bartonella gnosis is the infectious process. The most common one here in the United States is Bartonella hensilae, if that's pronounced correct. Um, interestingly, this is typically transmitted more from fleas, body lice, sand flies, or contact with flea-infested animals, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, my favorite little rodents. Um, and according to the CDC, there is no evidence that ticks spread Bartonella. So why are we seeing so much Bartonella with Lyme? If they're not spread by the same thing, why is it happening? Inquiring minds want to know. Tell us, Craig. Exactly. <laughs> so... Um, where I lost my, huh. yeah, that too. <laughs> so old Bart. Here's the yeah. Black Bart got you again. Exactly. Here's the other fun place that Bartonella comes from. Uh, Bartonella hensilae, which is the most common to occur here in the United States, is also known as cat scratch fever. And that's not who was it that saying that. Somebody said that earlier this week. Ted Nugent. No. I thought you guys knew that. No. It's for no, sure. It's, uh, is it not? I thought for sure it was. Old Ted. It's not. It is. Uh, you didn't know this suddenly became a game show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not Ted Nugent. It'll come to me, though. Yeah. Right. It's we'll not Ted, but we'll go on. 
<laughs> if we don't realize Let's it by it the up. end of the show, we'll put a little link at the bottom to get you to it. <laughs> so infected cats can scratch people and pass the bacteria to us. So here's a couple of things that's really kind of interesting with that. So first of all, why would you have cats to begin with? No, I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> I don't know, Dr. Caleb, why would you know? <laughs> we'll say that for another discussion. <laughs> exactly. So infected cats is another mode of transmission for this bacterium. So here's kind of the signs and symptoms of it. Low-grade fever. You can have enlarged and tender lymph nodes, especially within about one to three weeks after the exposure to the cat. And also a papule or pustule at the site of the scratch. Now, one other interesting mode of transfer transmission is if you have a scratch or a cut and you let an infected cat lick your scratch, then it could pass that way as well. Which again, why would you let a cat lick your scratch? So those are the typical symptoms, but rarely are, you can also have infections of the, <laughs> you, you can also have infections of the eye, the liver, the spleen, the brain, the bones, or the heart valves. And this is one of the most uh, important things that can occur is if it affects the heart valves, it can lead to endocarditis. As was also mentioned in an earlier episode, one of the things that determines the intensity of what you experience is your overall state of health. If we have an already weakened or burdened immune system, then we're much more likely to have a severe case. You're much more likely to have some of these infections get to these other areas of the body. So since the CDC is so wise and tells us that it doesn't come from ticks, let me tell you what they also tell you to do as far as treatment. Number one is avoid cat scratches. Number one way to avoid cat scratches, don't have cats. Brilliant. I, hey. Genius. I, I am. Second is wash the scratch. Wow, that's intelligent. With, with soap or just water? No. Or with, or with a cat lick. <laughs> cat tongue. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then finally, what was the final thing? Um, keep cats indoors and away from stray cats. So, really important stuff there. Oh, sorry, I forgot one other thing. Make sure and talk to your veterinarian about flea prevention products. We'll have an, a commercial here in a little bit. <laughs> so um, the other thing that I, I thought was interesting too is the typical treatment approach, antibiotics. Great. In our office, we take a little bit different approach. We figure out what what's going on with the overall burden on the body, what other co-infections such as Lyme and Babesia and all these other things that Dr. Luke's going to talk about as well, uh, that can be a plan of factor as well. So with that in mind, I'll turn it over to Dr. Luke. Thanks, Dr. Craig. Um, so we're going to talk about the uh, Borrelia uh, family of bacterium here. And this is where we have your classic Lyme, Borrelia burgdorferi. Um, and everything that's not that is... Uh, <clears throat> is considered basically a co-infection. And so for the Borrelia family, there's a research article I came upon that basically broke up all the different types of Borrelias um, into three different groups. Um, all right, we're good? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so in this research article, they divided up the Borrelia 
um, bacteria into three different groups. You have your relapsing fever group. You have the uh, classic Lyme borreliosis. Borreliosis is just another way of saying Lyme disease. And then other, <laughs> other as in this is where all the rest of the spirochetes go and more on what spirochetes are here in just a sec. Uh, and the Borrelia can be transmitted by either ticks or lice. And we won't get into the weeds of the over 50 species of, of which Borrelia go where within those three groups. I merely wanted to point out the different types so that we can kind of have a general understanding. Uh, like we talked about in the past episode uh, with Dr. Craig, uh, the types of ticks that can transmit the Borrelia bacterium. Well, on the East Coast and the Midwest part of the United States, you have your black-legged tick and your deer tick. On the West Coast, you have, guess what, your Western black-legged tick. In Europe, you have the sheep tick that can transmit this. And in Asia, it is the, I don't know if you guys knew this, is the taiga tick, spelled T-A-I-G-A. Yeah. The more you know. Uh, From you know, Dr. Half the battle. <laughs> and uh, like I mentioned earlier, lice can also carry the uh, Borrelia burgdorferi or the co-infections. Um, although the CDC might disagree that there's not been a proven method in which that's done, uh, we'll just say that that is a hypothesized means of transmission. Um, and this can happen in theory that if the, uh, <laughs> exactly, this can happen in theory if the, the lice uh, feed on a host that has the Lyme bacterium or other species of Borrelia in it, and then would transmit that to a another host in which that person does not have the Lyme, so it's transmitting it from there. So <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, there's over 50 species of Borrelia, uh, and some can be more severe than the others, and, and you guys can feel free to chime in on this, but I think the ones that, that we've identified in the office, uh, again, number one most common, Borrelia burgdorferi. That's your classic Lyme, your Lyme borreliosis. Uh, you also have your Borrelia maonii, Borrelia afzelii, Borrelia parkeri, and Borrelia garinii. Uh, and these are really common even in this country. Um, do you guys have any other ones that you've seen personally? Uh, Borrelia hispanica. That's one uh, from southern United States and even down the Caribbean. And I find a lot of patients who've gone on vacation Caribbean areas like that, this is where they pick some of these things up down there. It's really prevalent, so that's another big one. Mm. I did come upon that one. It just didn't make the cut, so I appreciate you chiming <laughs> in on that. <laughs> My list is a little different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, He's traveled down south a lot more. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's, I think it's important to hit on real quick that uh, that the Borelli is, a, is what's called a spirochete meaning it's just a specific shape of bacteria. And spirochete, what does that sound like? You got it, spiral. And this is how the, the Borrelia move about in a spiral or a corkscrew method. And this is how it really propels itself through the body once it's in there. And, and this is why it can be so difficult to treat Lyme or the Lyme co-infections effectively is because, again, it has the ability to move about. And not only does it have the ability to move about, but there's also what's known as the pleomorphic phase of bacterium. And what that means is the bacterium can change its shape, its size, and the means in which it reproduces. And so this is how it crosses different compartments, different systems. This is why it wreaks havoc on multiple systems in the body. Um, and, and so therefore it's not only a moving target, it's a shape-shifting target as well. And, and this is why it, it's, it's crucial once again to, to find someone that understands this process and is not just going to shoot from the hip with you. And that's going to identify not only what types of Borrelia or Bartonella's or Babesias are at play, 
Um, but what to do about it once we have identified that process, because all of those different different types of not just genus, but species of bacteria, th those all could require something different. And not only that, it's different for every person. So, so with that, uh, is Dr. Ben, is Dr. Ben's next. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to him now. Thank you, Dr. Luke. You know, you, you think about all these things these docs are talking about. And I'm going, wow, who's safe? You know, and what condition do we have or what, you know, health disease do we have that this isn't or doesn't have some aspect of it or something that's that's applied to it. So once again, we, we come back and, and since we're talking about limes, we're going to talk about how do we diagnose or test it out, first of all. Right. And our lovely CDC, we love them. They do not even think there's such things as chronic limes or whatever else you want to call it. They're breaking it down into acute and then post limes treatment disease. Right. So when I look at that, I'm going, well, there's only two tests they really talk about that are even viable to try to confirm that you have some type of Lyme's disease. And the first one is a blood test that they call the ELISA test. And really what they're looking for, it's a screening test. It just says, well, let's just see if anything shows up. If something shows up, then we're going to do the Western blot test. And the two of those combined are less than 54% accurate. Right. And then we start talking about the, all the 40 different bands, all the different ones we have to identify. And we have to go back and say, oh, well, when do you think you got it? Because the first four months is going to be something different. The next six months, it's something different. Two years later, it's something different. So when the when, when a physician first thinks you have some form of limes, right, if they're bold enough to even think that, which, by the way, that's the last straw out of the basket they pull in for. They go, well, we've tested everything else out and it didn't show up. Let's look for limes. Because of these co-infections, it's very hard to identify them in the actual blood because as both Dr. Craig and Dr. Luke have, have talked about, they change, they morph, they adapt, right? And what they do, if you stop and think about all the different bacteria that we have in us, we have over 100 different million different types of bacteria within our system. You know, there's more of them in us than we are made up combined. And once these odd bacteria start coming in and they start changing their DNA or changing their mRNA or their transcriptase RNA and they're changing the cellular reaction to that, all of a sudden we have so many different variables in there that are never able to test, right? So when we look at just the ELISA and we're looking at the Western blot, and those that do show up with the very specific bands, what's 36, 39, 40, all these different bands we talk about. And the CDC says, well, you have to have five out of 10 before we can even diagnose you with having Lyme's. And we're going, no, we have found people that have one or two that are the most severe of those 10 that have all these different conditions. Yet, according to the CDC, they don't have Lyme's, right? Well, pooey. I mean, that stuff is just wrong, you know? Hey, I, I language. No, no better way to say that, right? So what we try to do is we try to sit, sit back in once again. We look at our client or a patient. We go, all right, what's unique to this person? Again, age, if we have some history of it. And I love what Dr. <laughs> Dr. Craig is brought up and Dr. Caleb brought up in the essence of if we eat beef, Hello, Moto. <laughs> Maybe you've been exposed to these bacteria and you have the co-infections and yet you never had the tick Lyme uh, disease uh, episode. All right. So when we're looking at the ability of these things to escalate, right? We've talked about the air hunger issue. We've talked about the, the anemia aspect. We talk about how all these things start breaking down. Once again, I come back and I look at that and I go, how do we, within our clinic, within the, with our percept, how do we go against whatever is normal grain out there? And how do we find the actual issue that's wrong with our clients or our patients? 
we're more specific. We dive deeper. We don't just look at just the ELISA or the Western blot. We can. We have no problem with it. If we want to go that route to come up with that diagnostic, diagnostic term, then great. But is it really going to change what we do? Right. It's proven that they did have it versus they don't have it. Whereas if we see all this list that, that you guys have gone through and we talk about all these different components and we take that back to the body's systems. Right. And we start trying to find out where the resistance is or where the weakness is or where the dysfunction is. Right. And when we first go through this, and I'm just going to play with numbers here for a second, let's say we find 10 systems out of a thousand that are dysfunctional, or we find a hundred out of a thousand that are dysfunctional. What does that mean? We hit them all? No, we're going to prioritize them. We're going to go, what is the biggest challenge that your body is dealing with at the moment? And how do we go start supporting the body to win in that environment where they have been losing? Right. And Dr. Kaiser's story, he's talking about you just wake up and there's like you don't even feel like living. You're in this light, dark and light, dark tunnel. That was a dichotomy, wasn't it? As opposed to a dark but, light tunnel. Because he was awake, even though he felt like he was in a dark tunnel. Let me just put that <laughs> up. I was coming or going. I don't know. One yeah. or the other. It's going through the lighter. I was coming back from. One but he wasn't there. moving. As long <laughs> right. as it wasn't a train. But life is being sucked out of them. Right. And that's what we forget. The whole essence of our being is, you know, as we develop and as we grow, we get through maturity, you know, we get, you know, past mid 20s, early 30s. Yes, there, there's a, a concept that the body starts trying to repair itself from that point on. But if we feel like life is being drained out of us because of all these different co-infections and all the different aspects of whether we do or don't have limes, whether the tests are positive or not, and, and we look at there's over 67 percent of false positives or false negatives even within those two tests. How do we assess what the body's going through? And so that's what I love about how, how we do it within Dose Life Center, is we go, let's look at that body and let's find out where its troubles are, right? Where's its dysfunction? Then how do we start supporting that dysfunction or that weakness? Then how do we start bringing in raw material that they are not able to get into their system? Whether it's digestion, whether it's in the blood, as was talked about earlier, whether it's in the mitochondria, energy production, whether it's in immune production systems, whether it's just feel like you can think again. If we get up to the neurotransmitters, and we're going to go into a lot of that here in the next episode, but where is the dysfunction? And if we can identify it and go, wow, that's your biggest, greatest weakness at this moment. And whether it takes us, you know, two weeks, two months, two years to support that, and then all of a sudden we start picking a lot of these other things up, guess what the body wants to naturally do? We call it a writing reflex within the body. And what that means is it's not writing. It's being able to stand aright or wrecked into this world. And life feels normal. Like you have the ability to stand on the earth, right, and face life. And if we can offer that hope back, Right? If we can turn that back on in these bodies, no matter the age, and all of a sudden these people, and I'm going to put me and Kyson and the rest of the docs all in this, when we feel like we have the ability to face life again, wow, isn't that going to be phenomenal for, for whoever we get the opportunity to help do that? And that's really what we're offering back to people is how can we take you in your current position right? Your current health dysfunction, whether it's limes, whether it's associated limes, whether it's, you know, post-treatment limes, whether it's chronic limes, whether it's the co-infections of the limes that continue to manipulate and morph and change, that every six to 12 months, the disease you have is changing because the body's resistance is reducing and they're winning, right? And we know the end game of all that, and we're going to talk about some of those. But if we can stop that, arrest it is the term we like to say, and start turning this around, 
wow, people are going to feel a huge difference. So that's what we're excited to help each of you do. So what I want to do is I want to introduce our next topic. Next topic, we're going to get into the neurological aspect of it. We're going to talk about all the different branches of the nervous system and how these co-infections and the Lymes, all right, these diseases, all right, these tick-borne diseases, how they start affecting from the head to the toe. Right. And when we talk about your thought process and a couple of the different times have brought up in, in Dr. Craig and Dr. Caleb is they talked about how it changes the mood and it changes your thought process and it changes your own core value to all of a sudden you don't feel like it's worth living this way any further, any longer. And you're fighting, as Dr. Frank was talking about, Dr. Kaiser was talking about, you're fighting every day just to get out of bed and to carry that load. You know, you want to take the burden off of you. And that's what we're, we're going to be doing the next time. So stay tuned and come back and we'll go into neurology. I want to make one more point here, kind of wrapping up a few of these things that people said. So Dr. Craig was talking about um, how they want to treat, according to the CDC, with antibiotics. We're talking about shooting from the hip here and treating these things. Now, if we go through and we look at this testing, which isn't necessarily completely accurate, and you could have some of these other things here, and they start dumping antibiotics into your body you start getting what they call a Herxheimer reaction or Herxing, which can be very detrimental. So our approach is a little bit different where we try to avoid that as much as possible by addressing the other systems in the body. And we're going to get into that a little bit more in some of uh, episode four when we talk about treatments, but just kind of a precursor to episode three when we talk about neuro and how that gets affected by these Herxheimer reactions and these other protocols or some of these other ways that people are addressing Lyme which can be very harsh and very big struggles on top of everything else you're dealing with. And so we try to find a different route to give you a better outcome without the Herxheimer reactions. Awesome. Awesome, Dr. Frank. Thank you for listening to the Docera Digest podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all the episodes and show notes over at doceralifecenter.com. While you're on the website, also be sure to check out the blog where you'll find videos and articles to help you proactively rebalance your health.